If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. This is another of our popular Listener's Choice interviews, which we're playing over the weekend. We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com slash choice for the rules and the leaderboard. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. We have a mission to improve the welfare of horses throughout the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers and that's what these chats are all about. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Today's guest is Tasha Hammonds. Tasha's a four-star eventing specialist, competitor, trainer, coach, coach educator. She also was shortlisted for Jerez for the World Championships and also for Sydney Olympics. How are you today, Tasha? Good, Glennis. Good. How are you? Good, good. Now, I know that you don't normally go much in for quotes, but have you got a favourite quote for us today, one that you might use when you're teaching or something that's inspired you? Well, the only thing I probably say when I teach a lot from a teaching perspective is um, if you can understand where the horse is coming from, you know how to handle it. Like that's my biggest thing. The only quote I really do quite like from a squirrely point of view is the Henry Ford one, when, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. I do quite like that because, you know, mind over matter in the horse business is sort of everything. Yes. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Natasha, I know that you've had an extensive experience with horses. But what I want to know are what your first memories with horses are. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Well, I started quite late, I think, in the industry. We lived in Sydney till I was 12 and my family are non-horsey. So it wasn't until we moved up to Tea Garden up on the coast that there was a pony club and I used to ride my bike out on Sundays and sort of hover around until someone took pity on me and let me ride a horse that was in the roundhouse because no one wanted to ride it for fairly good reason. It was a bit of a naughty one. <laughs> Called Hobo and the old guy that owned it used to bring it out in the hope that someone would ride it. And so I, you know, complete ignorance as bliss and thought it was wonderful and started riding from there. So it was, you know, not the ideal first horse, but it was a horse and beggars can't be choosing. So it was great, you know, and Pony Club is Pony Club. It's sort of the great introduction to everything and yeah, we just bombed around the pony club and, you know, all the bush with the Lindsay's, the Aspinalls and the Heathcoats. And, yeah, I had a great time. Not, not you know, no sort of official training or anything like that, but just had lots of fun and did all the silly games. You know, hit a rail and you lose the stirrup, hit a rail, you lose the rain. I don't know. Like, it wasn't, wasn't great schooling, but we did have an enormous amount of fun, which I think is really important. That's certainly a good one. Hit a rail and lose a syrup. Hit a rail and lose a rain. Yeah. I wonder how long a lot of people would stay on if they started to play games like that. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. yeah. Now it's a long way coming from riding a not ideal first horse to then going on and riding and teaching professionally and doing things like getting shortlisted for both a world championship and an Olympic games. What made you decide to have a career with horses and make it? I always just wanted to do horses. There was probably no defining moment or 
it was just everything I ever wanted to do. I remember that, you know, when you get sat down with your, uh, what did they got a career manager or something in high school? I can't remember what it's called anymore. You know, you sat down and he said, well, what, what are you going to do? And I just want to do horses. And he's like, well, that's not a job, though. Like, what do you want to do for a job? And I'm like, well, I just want to work with horses. So that was a bit of a failed interview, really. But I, it was all I ever wanted to do. And it, in any form, I just wanted to be around horses. That was sort of what brought me most happiness. And so I just, when I finished school, Dad said, well, you can have to enroll in uni, but have a year out. But as long as you take a year out, you can get a qualification. So the only qualification back then was the level one, wasn't it? So I enrolled in the Lochinbar course that, you know, everyone did sort of back then. And that's how it all began. I never actually set out to really become a coach, but the only way you sort of earn money, I think, to do your sport, which is the riding and and then you sort of, your main income is the coaching and then you're actually going, oh, I quite like this. And, <laughs> and that sort of, yeah, ends up being sometimes bigger than the riding. It, you know, at different times in your life, especially if you're having soundness issues with your body. But um, yeah, it was never a definitive thing. It was just a progression thing. A bit like, you know, when I started the Pony Club, I was never one of those people that sort of said, I want to go to the Olympics or it just was, I just loved training the horses and loved being with the horses. I've always enjoyed horses more than people. And well, that comes across wrong, doesn't it? But I just really enjoy working with them. So yeah, it was just a onward progression, I guess. Yeah. I, I know when I, you know, the guidance officer at school yeah. would say something about horses yeah. and um, I had a couple of different guidance officers, yeah, that told me that you can't have a career with horses. There's no jobs with horses. I actually had one who said to me, it doesn't really matter because, you know, you'll just sort of have a job for a couple of years and then you'll get married and then you'll never work again anyway, so you can do whatever you like. Oh, <laughs> oh God, it's so good times have changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so um, we'll go oh, on sad. from there. So, Tasha, did you ever go back to uni? No, no, I had I had no real intention of it. Was more sort of the pacify the parents thing. Yes. No, once I did my instructor certificate at Lock and Bar. Yep. And then I saw a job advertised in Singapore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you just went and did the job there. Yeah. So I worked over there for two years, and that was a really, really good experience. Yeah. Okay, good, good. If someone now said to you, look, I'd like to work with horses, work in the horse industry, what sort of core skills or personality traits do you think they need to have to work in the horse industry? I think the biggest thing is that that you love horses. I think if you want to work with horses, I think it's a very satisfying sort of thing. Working with animals in general generally is great, but if you want to work with horses as a you know, as a rider, as a competitive rider, you know, hard work, resilience, very important. The ability to bounce back because, you know, your horses have injuries and go lame and things don't go according to plan. But as a coach, you know, the ability to get on with people and, and the ability to learn, I think, to be able to pick up things from people as you go along and be a bit of a sponge. I think that's very important. But yeah, the hard work, hard work, <laughs> work okay. ethic, Good. very important. So a lot of those things you've said, now there's a lot of people work in the horse industry already who have those key skills. What do you think the keys are then to, to excelling? You know, because you've really excelled in your career. What do you think you've got more than what someone else has got? Uh, 
well, I mean, the times I was listed and things, that was I had a very, very good horse. And you're only as good as the horse that you're riding, as you know. And he was amazing. I just hit the jackpot with that one. And getting a good horse is imperative to going well, as, you know, as far as your riding goes. And I think the ability to learn, and I'm actually not what I'd call a great learner. I don't read, I don't learn from books so well. I learn watching. I can watch and pick up things. If I actually am guessing a lesson, people can say something to me, and I don't necessarily take that in straight away, but I go and practice, and I practice, and that's how I learn, and I, I can... I actually learn from horses very much. So people have said to me over the years, you know, who have you learnt most from? And I've learnt most from my horses. I actually really feel that I can tune into a horse and understand them quite well. So I think that has been my... And so because of that, if you can teach that, if you've got someone on that same way of thinking, you can teach that, it's very, very easy. But, you know, it's... You know, I'm certainly... I don't think I... Even the world's, I don't think I'm the world's best competitor. I, I think I'm a good trainer, and I think that's very different, you know, than a great competitor, you know, to a great trainer, you know, a bit different. But yeah, I don't mind hard work. That's, that's what I've always been good at. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you certainly enjoy your training, you know, someone that's going to take what they've learned in a lesson and just go away and keep practicing it. I think that's what training's all about. It sounds like you're, um, you know, you're really good at training and you really enjoy it. Yeah, I really, I really enjoy the little steps, those little wins that you get at home. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, and being able to put that into that perfect test, you know, like I really enjoy the correlation, you know, and and being able to get it at home and then get it minus five percent, maybe it out or something, you know. I, I love, I really enjoy that. Yeah, good. Good. And what about, you've said you learned a lot from horses. What about learning from people? Are there special people that you've learned a lot from? Anyone you'd like to mention? I picked up a lot. Like, you sort of pick up a lot along the way, don't you? Like, I mean, when I was at the centre, you know, of course, Heath was a big influence on everyone. And then when I was in Singapore, my boss was a fellow, you know. So I went from Heath to a fellow of the BHS, you know. There was no more different sort of system, I don't think. And so that was quite a shock, you know, went from, you know, the the Heath style to Anna style, you know. But so I had to change completely the way I rode for her. And then, but that's okay, you know, you can, and so I learned from her. And then I went to Gundawindi actually when I came home. And it was really interesting up there, like some very good horsemen, you know, like I worked up there for Jim Gunn, Jim and Sue Gunn. And, and there were some, you know, some guys, you know, just some really good horsemen up there that I learned a lot about horses, you know, and I think sometimes we don't see the best horsemanship in the performance horse industry. And so it was really good for me to do that. And then watching, you're watching and I've never had sort of one major mentor, I guess. Like it's always been pick up things, but the horses have, have just been my my thing. You know, my show jumping was my weakness for many years. And Jamie Coleman did a lot with my show jumping. And then Andrew, when Jamie moved to Melbourne, and I, you know, as far as moving up through the grades eventing-wise, um, I used to train with Prue Barrett when, you know, at, we're at Lock and Bar. And so she sort of brought me through the grades. And, you know, it was always, we sort of, everyone just went to Lock and Bar and trained. And, and so, I, you know, I certainly credit her with my cross-country training. That was, she sort of kept the fairly good uh, rain on all of us back in those days and 
and she does now with her students still. So, yeah, it was very good for my cross-country training, I feel. So I do credit her with that. And But, yeah, it, it is amazing. It, you don't pick up things until you're ready to pick them up. You can have someone say something to you five times and it won't go in. And then at just the right moment when you're ready to get it, that same set of words just resonates and you've got it. So it's all about timing. It's all about repetition. And, yeah, it, it just eventually goes in with me, I guess. All right. Now, you've talked about horses and you've, you know, learning a lot from horses. Who have been the main horses who've influenced you? My best horse, Fuzzy Logic, Fred, who's still yep. in the paddock at 27. He, he was my amazing horse. Like, everyone has that amazing horse, in, you know, when you're eventing and you can do anything and you're invincible and, and he was it. Like, he, he was just, you don't know what you have when you've got those horses. You just... You know, you come through the grades on them and you make every mistake and they still keep on going. And he was just a treasure, which is why he was sort of shot until a couple of years ago still even because he likes his front shoes and mm. fully rugged, looks after you, though, because he's, he's amazing. And I think it, horses like that make it, make four-star feel quite easy, you know? Like, it's, I don't know what all the fuss is about. You know, you go through the levels and, I don't know, you tick, tick, tick. It just... And then you go through, you bring the next one. So you're like... Oh quite hard actually <laughs> and then with dressage I had I was very fortunate to have a little horse called Argentile Lariat and he was the first horse when he sat on you went, you know because Fred uh, Fuzzy Logic was not very easy to do dressage on and then I got Lariat and he's a bit of a rat bag on the ground and everything but amazing to ride and he's went mm, this is what dressage is all about and you know, he went on to win the state championship and I got a love of dressage from him, you know. He gave you that taste of how fun dressage can be and so, yeah, he very much inspired me down dressage lines. So what's been your proudest moment? Was it dressage or eventing? I think the first time I went four-star on Fred, I mm -hmm. think that was, well, not the first time, the first time I fell off. Oh. <laughs> I, you know, he... We went around Adelaide. That was pretty amazing. I, I really enjoyed that from the part of it, you know, feeling part of a team with your horse. I felt very, very proud of him. Like, and from a, a team point of view, um, we were members of the Trans Tasman Challenge in New Zealand. Oh, I can't remember what year. Maybe it was 03 or something. And we're on the team with uh, Nikki Rhodes and Will Enzinger, Wendy Schaefer and Claudia. Graham and it was that was lots of fun you know being a part of a team with those guys like they, they're all like a great bunch of people and it was actually loads of fun being part of that team and I was really proud you know you're really proud to wear the green and gold but you know the first time you get the hat cover with balls in gold letters on the side like that was pretty amazing mm -hmm. you know that representing Australia that was pretty exciting. <laughs> So you've had some great moments. What do you think your biggest challenge has been? Biggest challenge, I think, you know, finances are always, I think, the biggest challenge with a horse rider. <laughs> you know, I've had to sell a lot of horses on the way that I would have loved to have kept. So that's all part and parcel. You know, you want to do a business which is ridiculously expensive and you've got to sell the horses along the way. So I think the selling of the horses that, you know, I would have loved to have kept, that, that was always pretty tough. And probably now at this end of my career is actually keeping myself sound. I would, you know, you sort of, you know, it, it complain when the horses have gone unsound in the past and now I'm 
I'm working on myself, so I can't really complain about myself being unsound. So, but yeah, that's now. Okay. <laughs> that's okay. now. That's now probably my biggest challenge at this end of of my career. All right. Now, look, we normally ask people for a tip, you know, just a a common fault that a rider or a horse might have and how to fix it. But I want to be a bit greedy and do three because I want to talk about three different types of jumps. I want to talk about drop fences, water and ditches and just tips that you'd give people to improve the riding over drop fences and ditches and water. Drop fences, ditches and water. Well, you've you've pretty much it's a bit the same for all three. So I think the biggest problem we get in eventing now that the horses are a bit more warm blood. Back in the day, they were thoroughbreds and they used to, the thoroughbreds just were in front of your leg. Like that's how they went. You sort of got them off the track because that was the majority of horses that we had. And they were just in front of the leg. Like you were like, so far in front of the leg, you're like, whoa, <laughs> steady. But they were in front of the leg and they were up to the bridle. So they took you. And so that was actually... 50% of the job done, whereas now that we're getting a lot more warm bloods into the sport, the warm bloods are not naturally in front of the leg. They have to be, you know, depends on how they're broken in and how they're ridden, but the majority of problems we see now is that the horses are behind the leg and that you have to then send them, get them truly in front of the leg. Because if you're coming up to a, a water jump, it's a, you know, you've named the three sticky fences really mm. on the course. That was the, the idea. behind the leg. It becomes an optional extra with it. Yeah, yeah. So it becomes an optional extra if they go in. If they're behind the leg and they do that horrible stormy jump, you're just really hanging on. So if that goes back to your basic, you know, you put the leg on the horse, must go forward. They must actually connect up to the bridle. They can't be behind the leg and empty in the hand. If you're getting that feeling or if you're coming in and you're kicking and nothing is happening, you have to go back to your work a little bit between your fences and go, train them you know put the leg on nothing happens the spur comes on nothing happens the whip comes down and, and you train them to be more off the leg so you're not having to kick very hard on the way in it has to be a little bit sharper off the aids and i love the thoroughbreds for that reason they're so off the aids you know it, it, they just and they they tend to want to go i like that feeling in a horse you know but you can certainly train it you know the horses that are a little bit duller to so train them and once they're in front of the leg you know you just your legs are there, your shoulders are back so that the horse can't get behind the leg and then you're right. But you, you start leaning forward and, and your legs flip back and, yeah, it's really, you know, voluntary action really if the horse goes in. <laughs> but all of those things as well in, in saying that, it's training. You know, it's going onto the courses and training and training and training. I don't think people understand the reservoir of training that you need you know, and I hear it all the time. People go, oh, I just went to the competition. I didn't school him, but he went so well. And they don't realise that every time they do that, they chip away a little bit at the horse's confidence, you know. You need to go to the course the week after. If you've had a bad run, don't then leave it for three weeks and then try and go training the week before the competition. Go training every week, you know, just to a cross-country course and just train it and get that reservoir of confidence under a horse so that when something goes wrong, it's I've done that. They've done it a million times and they don't have to jump big. They just have to jump repetitively because every time you come in, it's slightly different. And so the horse comes in, yeah, all the time, you know, at Lock and Bar. We just, we just went there, you know, and just train and train and train. It was a wonderful facility. It was very, very lucky. And that's why we built our own cross-country course at the back here, you know, because it's just that ability to just constantly just go out the back once a week on the horses or whatever. They just get so confident. And that, you know, for water, for ditch, 
for the drop fences, for your banks, do you think? You know, the horse just can make a mistake or you can make a mistake, more importantly, and they go, yes, no problem. You know, they can just pick it off because they know they can. And I think that's just so important and something that we probably don't do enough of these days. I really like the way that you explained, you know, horse got to be in front of the leg and up to the bridle. But then you said something about the horse being empty in the hand and everyone knows that dreaded feeling of coming into a fence that might be a bit tricky and the horse just drops and it, there's just nothing, yep. you know, and the horse really isn't yep. going forward into the hand. It is empty into the hand. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I like the way you explained that. And I think the way you talked about it all, I think that was a really good lesson for our listeners that that are looking at jumping and looking at coming into some tricky fences sometimes. Oh, hang on a sec. Let me interrupt to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at onlinehorsecollege.com. If you have a look at the flexible options, there's online theory and the practical components can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. That website again is onlinehorsecollege.com. Okay, thanks. Okay, Tasha, I know you don't read books and you've already said that you don't learn from books that well. Have you got one, though, that you do, would recommend, one that you've used in the past and maybe learnt something from? Uh, yeah, I'm terrible like that. And I know some of my students talk about the books that they read and, you know, everyone learns so differently. And, uh, you know, I had one lady that she really needed to read it from a book and I had a look at a few because she was doing the medium sort of work and, I had a look at a couple she had, in, and she had Kira Kirkland, a book, you know, with all the movements and things. Yes. I thought the descriptions in that were really good for, you know, the lateral work and that sort of higher level work, I think. I was really impressed with the way she laid it out. So from my limited experience, I did really like that one. If anyone's looking at the lateral and, you know, sort of elementary to medium work and, you know, looking for good descriptions, that was a really good one and it, it did it helped a couple of my students actually. But, yeah, I've, I've never really read any of the others, which is terrible because I love reading. I actually love reading the novels and, and stuff. But I, I find it I don't take that learning across so well from books that way. So, yeah, I, I'm much better watching someone train myself. But, yeah. That's right. And as you say, everyone learns so differently. You know, some people are more practical. Some people do yeah. like the books and do like them just to compliment. And of course, there's, you know, nothing at all like the practical, but some people can learn more but just by watching videos, listening to books and things yes, like that. Yeah, 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 sure. Now, Tasha, what about your future? What are you looking forward to? Well, I've got two kids now and so they're very much my priority. Um, TV's three and Henry's five and so they're very much taking up, I think, 98.8% of my time. <laughs> but I'm still teaching. I sort of do two to three solid days teaching a week. And I'm trying to maybe scale that back a little bit so I can get a bit more riding in. I, I don't, like my, don't like letting my students down, but I've been missing my riding. So next year, I would like to maybe get a little bit more riding time under my belt. I've got a really nice eventer, a Bradgate horse that I really, really enjoy riding. And I've got a really cute little dressage horse, although a bit cheeky. She's lots of fun. So I would like to have a couple of eventers and a dressage horse and try and find the time. But yeah, Henry's starting school next year. So I've got no idea how it's all going to work. But I don't know. I just, uh, hopefully I'll get there and keep myself sound. I have to do a fair amount of work to keep myself sound in the saddle. So it all takes time. But yeah. 
Okay. I just want to get back out there, Glennis. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly understand how you mean. Now, Tasha, can you sum up your philosophy into a lesson today for our listeners, please? Oh, my philosophy, my philosophy. I don't know if I have a philosophy. I think, I think the biggest thing when you're training horses or people is it's all about them. Like, I really think if you're training a horse, it's all about the horse. It's however that horse needs to be trained. And I think it's the same with a student. It's when you're coaching, it's not about you as a coach. It's all about the student. It's how, what they need. You know, that can be sometimes really draining as a coach, but that's your job. Whether you're training a horse or a rider, it's, it's, it's put it in their court. It's all about them. And, and I think we've got to be um, really focused on that as riders and coaches. Okay. Okay. That's good. And Tasha, how can people contact you? I'm probably the worst communicator in the world, as you guys found out. I'm, I'm genuinely terrible. But, yeah, if, if people email or text or call uh, and then just repeatedly keep on chasing me. Because <laughs> with the kids, I don't always have my phone around me all the time. So I always say harassment is the best policy. <laughs> okay. All right. And those details for you will be on your page at Horse Chats, which will be horsechats.com slash Tasha Hammond. Tasha, thanks very much for talking to us today. Thanks for your valuable information. I'm sure people will take it, go away and think about that, learn from it and um, improve their results with their horses, but also improve the connection and the relationship they have with their horses as well. Thanks very much for talking to us and hope to talk to you again sometime soon. A pleasure. Thank you, Glennis. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.